we are continuing our teaching series called Hills We Die On. And if you consider yourself a part of the student ministry, then you are also a part of Bell Shoals, which is why I think that it's so important that you know what our church is all about. And the hills we die on are our core values as a church. They are the, the non-negotiables, the things that, that we are unwilling to compromise on. And in week one, two weeks ago, we talked about our very first core value, and that is aggressive authenticity. Aggressive authenticity. Because God accepts us how he finds us, we accept others for, for where they're at. We want to be a student ministry that, that is real and authentic, not a student ministry that, that pretends but a student ministry that people feel like they can come and they can be themselves, they can be a part of. We don't want to play church, we want to be the church. So tonight, we're going to be talking about our second core value here at Bell Shoals, and that is relatable truth. Everybody say relatable truth. You know, in, in our society today, I think it's safe to say that everybody has an opinion on everything. No matter who you ask, everyone seems to have an opinion on everything. Everyone has an opinion on who they think is the greatest athlete of all time. Everyone has an opinion on their favorite Netflix show, that show that they're going to binge watch for 12 hours. Everybody has an opinion on the, you're their favorite college, the school that they think that you should attend. And listen, you can probably think of a few people right now that really like to express their opinion. You can probably think of a few people who are super obnoxious when it comes to the things that they like. But listen, here's the problem with opinions. Here's the problem with opinions. They aren't always true. Opinions aren't always true. Now let me give you an, an example of this. There might be some of you in this room who might be of the opinion that you can fly. I'm looking at this group right here because I know there's some of you that actually believe that. And you might believe so strongly that you can fly that you decide to, to test out this opinion. One day after school, hang, hang with me. One day after school, you gather up all your friends, you pile in the car, and you head straight to downtown Tampa, and you find yourself the very, very tallest building in all of Tampa. And you've got your crew there ready for them to witness this amazing feat that you're about to pull off. You believe so much that you can fly, that you decide to jump off of the tallest building in the middle of downtown Tampa. Now, I don't have to tell you how this is gonna end. I think all of you know exactly how this is going to end. But listen, there's some of you that believe this so wholeheartedly, and you're about to come to the reality of this thing called gravity. You're about to find out that, that gravity, it's very real. And as wholeheartedly as you believe this opinion, it's not true, as much as you would like for, for it to be. Listen, I know that, that this is an extreme example. And please, none of you actually go try this. But I think there are a lot of things in our life that, that we would admit that we wholeheartedly believe. We have opinions that, that we would be willing to, to stake 
our life on. You know, and I think this is especially true when it comes to our faith. You know, we all have opinions about what we believe is right and what we believe is wrong. We have views about moral and social and political issues. We even have opinions on what we think student ministry and church should look like. And listen, these opinions, they're not necessarily bad, but they're biased. They're based off of our own perspective, our own perspective on how we see things. And when our opinions begin to, to differ with the people around us, who determines who's right? Who determines what's actually right? You see, at Bell Shoals, we believe that biblical truth is defined by God. Truth is not defined by a pastor or your small group leader or even your parents. But biblical truth comes from God alone. And because God loves us so much, he has given us access to this truth through his word. It's one of the, the main reasons that we have the Bible. And even though the Bible is many years old, God's truth is not outdated, it's not out of touch, and it's still extremely relevant to our lives today. In fact, here's, here's how we say it. We believe that truth matters and is applicable to our lives. We seek to communicate truth in a way in which everyone can experience God's best. But you see, understanding where, where truth comes from is just the first step. Because what we do with that truth is equally as important. And as followers of Jesus, our goal should be to communicate truth in a real way. In a way that everyone can experience God's best for their lives. And so tonight, we're going to look at an example of how Jesus communicated truth. We're going to talk about how Jesus communicated truth in a passage found in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, go ahead and open to John chapter 4. Now, one day, Jesus was out ministering with the disciples. And he receives word that some tension has developed with the religious leaders at the time. And all throughout the New Testament, we see that there's this tension between Jesus and the religious leaders. The religious leaders weren't a huge fan of Jesus. And they've grown more and more frustrated because they've seen that, that Jesus is gaining a following. More and more people are choosing to, to follow him. And so in an effort to, to make peace... Jesus begins to make the trip back to Galilee to meet with them. He wants to kind of smooth everything over. And on his way back to, to Galilee, he passes through a town called Samaria. And it's when he reaches Samaria that he begins to get tired and thirsty. Jesus was human, just like us. And so he's exhausted after this long day of traveling. And so he arrives to this well that's situated in the middle of Samaria. And while the disciples go into town to, to get food, he sits down for a second to rest. And that's where our story picks up tonight. In John chapter 4, verse 7, it says this. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews, they do not associate with Samaritans. You see, by, by speaking to this woman, Jesus broke two really big rules. Just by, by engaging with her, Jesus broke two big rules. First of all, he was talking to a woman. That was a big no-no back then. If you were a man, it was frowned upon to talk to a woman that you did not know personally. Now, I want you to let that sink in for a minute. Because you're probably thinking, okay, if, if, if we can't talk to the opposite sex, like, how did, did marriage happen back then? Listen, marriages were, were arranged. Your parents picked out the person that, that you were going to marry. So there really was not this need to communicate with, with someone of the opposite sex un unless they were your family. I know that's a little crazy to, to wrap our minds around. But not only was, was she a woman, she was also a Samaritan woman. You see, Samaritans were considered the, the lowest of the low in society. In fact, Jews, they, they hated Samaritans. And if you were a Jew like Jesus was, the last thing that, that you would want it to be associated with was a Samaritan, let alone a Samaritan woman. Samaritan women were, were bottom of the, the social totem pole. But look at what, what Jesus says to her in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? You see, this woman has no idea who Jesus really is. She has no idea that, that she's talking to Jesus. But Jesus starts to, to drop some hints. He begins to say things like, don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I have to, to offer you? And she's still completely clueless. In fact, she, she actually relates to, to Jacob, one of her ancestors who, who used to come and, and sit by the well. She has no idea that it is Jesus the Messiah who is interacting with her, who's having a conversation with her. But instead of getting offended or frustrated, Jesus kind of brushes it off. He's unfazed by it. And he tries a little bit of, of a different approach. Look at verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw it. You see, at this point, though, the woman and Jesus, they are, are speaking two different languages. They are not on the same page. You see, the woman, she thinks that, that Jesus is talking about literal water. The water that, that's found in the well that they're sitting next to. The water that if she were to drink would satisfy her physical thirst. 
But the water that Jesus is referring to is so much greater than that. You see, the, the living water that Jesus is talking about is eternal life. And through Jesus' death, we have access to God. When we admit that we're a sinner and we place our faith and our trust in him, we receive this living water that Jesus is talking about. We receive this free gift of eternal life and the Holy Spirit, it comes and it lives inside of us. Meaning that, that we no longer have this spiritual thirst, this spiritual thirst that Jesus is referring to. And Jesus is telling her, listen, if you would just come to me, if you would realize who I am, you would be thirsty no more. I will satisfy not only your physical thirst, but also your spiritual thirst. But unfortunately, it, it just, she still doesn't get it. She's not tracking. In verse 16, he told her, go and, and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that, that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Jesus kind of drops a bomb here. He kind of hits her in a place that she's not necessarily expecting. He changes the, the course of the conversation very quickly. And instead of using another metaphor, Jesus gives her a simple command. He says, go and get your husband. Go and get your husband. Now, did Jesus know that, that she didn't have a husband? The answer is yes. Jesus knew exactly what, what he was saying to her when he told her to, to go and to get her a husband. In fact, Jesus knew that, that she was living with a man that, that was not her husband. So why did he say this? Why did he approach her with this, this command? You see, Jesus had the goal of revealing the sin in her life. And instead of making her rattle off all of her mistakes, or instead of airing out all of her dirty laundry, or instead of making her feel shame and regret for her decisions, he uses a much softer approach. He makes one simple statement knowing the impact that it would have, knowing that, that she would begin to, to think through her response to this command. And he asks this in hopes that she will begin to, to understand the sin in her own life and that she will turn to him as the solution. But I want you to look at how she responds. In verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that, that you're a prophet. Our ancestors, they worshiped on this mountain, but, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if Jesus had called me out for having five husbands, I think I would have started tracking. I think I would have started to pay attention if Jesus approached me and said that. But listen, this woman, she still, after all of this, she doesn't get it. Because Jesus knows about her past and her mistakes, she begins to claim that, that he's a prophet. 
She tries to then begin to, to sidetrack him and to pull him into to conversation about religious practices and religious customs of the Jews and the Samaritans. And Jesus, very aware of what she's doing, doesn't allow this to happen. And he makes one final statement to her. Look in verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. After this woman's interaction with Jesus, her life was forever changed. It didn't look the same. Her eyes, they were finally open to, to the sin in her life. She realized that Jesus himself was the Messiah. Finally, she understood that the significance of, of living water, this free gift that Jesus was offering to her. And when she returned home to her town, she told everyone about this encounter that she had just had with Jesus. And because of her story, because of her faith, many of the Samaritan people, they came to know Jesus. Look at in John chapter 4, later in that chapter in verse 39, it says this, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. What do we learn from, from Jesus' example in this story? What can we learn from this story? You see, Jesus, he chose to communicate truth in a relatable way. Jesus did not come across as arrogant or judgmental. He didn't come off as unapproachable or harsh. Instead, he was very intentional with his approach to this woman. When one thing didn't work, he, he tried another approach in order to help her to understand who he was and what he had done for her. He met her in the place where she was most comfortable, drawing water at the well. And he spoke truth to her in a gracious and loving way because he cared about her. He cared about her as a person. You see, students, if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, then you have a responsibility to communicate God's truth in love. You are responsible to share the message of Jesus with your family and friends. You're called to hold other believers accountable with their sin. You're even called to stand up for what's right, even when it's not popular or cool. And listen, and when we do that, look at what Paul writes later on in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 15, Paul says this. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. You see, when we speak the truth in love, not only do, does everyone have the, the opportunity to experience God's best, but it also challenges us to grow. It develops unity within the body of Christ, and it leads us towards a, a more mature faith. But listen, spiritual maturity 
only happens when we are willing to step outside of our comfort zone. When we are willing to step out of our comfort zone, that is when real growth begins to happen. And listen, if I'm being real with you guys, for some of you, the thought of communicating God's truth and having conversations like that makes you extremely uncomfortable. It gives you anxiety just having to think about communicating God's truth to a friend or to a family member. And those conversations, they're not always fun and they can be difficult to navigate. They can leave us feeling a little awkward and and uncomfortable. But I think when when we're faced with those situations, we tend to to naturally default to, to one of two responses. I think when we're forced to have a conversation with someone, especially when it's an uncomfortable one about God's truth, we tend to react in one of two ways. Number one, I think many of us will tend to to shy away from tough conversations. I think many of us will tend to to shy away from, from having those hard, real talks about life. Maybe because we, we lack confidence in communicating truth. Maybe because we're afraid that, that we're gonna say something wrong. We don't wanna offend the person that, that we're talking to. So in an attempt to, to keep peace, in an attempt to, to keep everyone happy, we don't say anything at all. We tend to to keep our mouth shut. Or maybe if you do have the the confidence to speak up and you're unsure of what you're going to say, you can kind of bend the truth a little bit. You begin to to compromise what God's word says in an attempt to to make sure that you don't offend anyone, to, to keep peace with other people. Listen, can I just be real with you for a minute? If this is you, if you tend to to shy away from from tough conversations and and shy away from communicating God's truth, you are doing the other person no favors by compromising God's truth. If God has given you the opportunity to, to have a conversation with someone, you never know how God is going to use what you have to say. Many times we allow this fear of offending someone else in our life to stop us from communicating what God has called us to communicate to them. But then I think there's some of us in here that that also have the, the opposite problem. We have no issue communicating truth, but it's not gracious. It comes across as harsh and unloving. We tend to to beat someone over the head with our Bible to to make them change, to make them fall in line, to to communicate what what we need to communicate to them. And we're so harsh to the point where, where we value what we have to say versus the person that we're talking to. We value what what we have to say and get off of our chest more than the person that we're actually talking to. And listen, there might be some of you in here tonight who you've been on the, the receiving end of this. Someone has said something to you in a way that was harsh and unloving. And, and for some of you, that, that might have turned you off from, from church or from faith altogether. 
And if that's you in here tonight, I just want you to hear me say that, that I'm sorry. I apologize for that. Because that is certainly not God's heart. God's heart is gracious and it's loving. And it's certainly not our goal as followers of Jesus to communicate truth in a way that points other people away from the Lord. But listen, here, here's the reality. Sometimes you're gonna communicate truth in the best possible way. You're gonna be gracious and loving and you're gonna say all of the right things and that person is still gonna take it in the wrong way. That person is still going to be offended at, at what you said. Listen, I can, can tell you this from, from personal experience. Just recently, I had a conversation that didn't go the way I had hoped it would. I had a friend who was, was contemplating making a decision that went directly against what, what God's word said. And as one of her friends, as someone who cared about her and, and who loved her, I began to feel this conviction to, to have a conversation with her about it. And I began to, to pray through what I was gonna say and, and how I was gonna approach it. And to be quite honest with you, I had a lot of anxiety about this conversation. Like it was not something that, that I was looking forward to. And when I met with her, I can literally tell you that it was the Lord speaking through me because I don't remember half of what I said to her. But I communicated truth in a way that, that was loving, that was gracious, and that made her know that, that I was her friend, that I wanted God's best for her and for her life. And listen, she didn't receive it the way I wanted her to. She didn't receive it how, how I had hoped. And unfortunately, yeah, now there's this little bit of awkwardness. But I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to communicate truth to her, even if she wasn't quite ready to hear it. Listen, you are not responsible for, for how someone reacts when you communicate truth. You're not responsible for, for if they're gonna be offended or if they're gonna get upset or even if they're gonna receive it well but you are responsible to say what God has called you to say. You are responsible to do what God has called you to do. And so as we close tonight, I, I wanna give you just, just one question to consider. I wanna give you one question to, to begin to think through as we begin to worship, and it's this. How do you communicate truth? How do you communicate truth? Do you need to be more confident in how you communicate truth? Do you tend to, to walk on eggshells around people because you're afraid that, that you're gonna offend them? You're afraid that, that you're gonna say the wrong thing? You're, you're afraid that they're gonna get mad at you? Do you need to be more confident in communicating the truth that we find in God's word? Or do you need to, to be more gracious in your approach? If you were to ask your friends around you, they would say that sometimes you can come across as harsh or arrogant. Sometimes that you come across as a little unloving or ungracious. Do you need to be more filled with graciousness and truth when you communicate to your friends and to your family? And I want you to consider this question. Do you communicate truth in a relatable way? Do you communicate truth 
in a relatable way. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you that your word is filled with absolute truth. That with all of the opinions that are present in our world today, when there is any sort of doubt or concern, God, we have your word to, to open to it and you point us directly to truth. Scripture even tells us that you yourself are truth. But God, it's not just enough that, that we, we know about truth, we also have a responsibility to communicate that truth. If we call ourselves believers, we have the responsibility to communicate that truth in a relatable and loving way to our friends and to our family. But God, sometimes communicating truth can be really difficult. We're not sure what to say or, or how to respond. We don't want people to get, get upset with us or, or to be offended. And sometimes we're, we're just quite not sure how to handle a situation. And so Father, I pray that, that as we continue to worship tonight, that you would begin to, to reveal to these students how they can be more relatable when they communicate truth. God, for those of them in here tonight that, that need to be a little more confident, that need to, to rely on you when they communicate your truth. God, and I pray you would also convict those of them that need to be a little more gracious, that need to be a little more loving and tender. Because God, we never wanna stand in the way of, of what you're doing in the lives of our family and our friends. And I'm so thankful that you use us to communicate your truth to other people. God, we ask all of this in your name. Amen.